Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Glory to God. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We are talking about being seated. Being seated with Christ. Being seated with Christ. What do those words mean? What does it mean to be seated in heavenly places? What does it mean to be seated with Christ? Raised up with Christ, together with Christ. Man, we're looking at this and we're excited to discover our rightful place, our rightful position, our authority, what belongs to us. Man, you don't want the enemy to rob you of what's yours. You don't want the enemy to rob you of what belongs to you. Romans chapter 5, I want to start here and... um, I've got it in a few versions. Let's look at it. Let's look at it in the New King James Version. New King James Version. For if by one man's offense death reigned, just one offense, just one misstep, just one occurrence, right? That's all it took. Look, I know we don't talk about it in church a whole lot anymore, but but sin is sin. An offense against God and a disobedience to his word, it is what it is. It's rebellion, it's wickedness, it's evil. It's, it is a disdain for the word of God and for the law of God and the command of God. And, and sin is sin and God still views sin as it is. And you know what happens is, is when we weaken the power of sin, we also weaken the power of grace. Because... Until I understand how great sin is and sin was, then I'll never fully understand how great God's grace is. That it could pull me out of the miry clay, that it could put my feet back on the solid rock, that it could pull me out of darkness and bring me into light. It could pull me out of the way of the kingdom of darkness and bring me into the way of the kingdom of God. And until every time I bring down or demote the power of sin, I in turn demote the power of grace. You do not strengthen grace by weakening sin. You don't strengthen the grace of God and the power of God to pull you out of sin by weakening the power and the effects of sin. Sin is sin. And God has never changed his viewpoint of sin. He's never, uh, he has not all of a sudden start tolerating and start tolerating and start accepting things that weren't tolerable and acceptable. You know, tolerance eventually becomes acceptance. Tolerance always eventually becomes what you tolerate today, you accept tomorrow. And I'll go even a step further, you celebrate beyond that. That's the gradual progression. Well, I... I'm not really for it, but ain't nothing I can do about it. Well, then you just begin accepting it as a way of life. And then before you know it, you're celebrating it. We're supporting it. We're actually pushing those things. It's the depravity of man. By one man's offense, one sin, that's all it took to separate you from God, to separate Adam and Eve from from God's plan and his purpose and his direction. One offense, eating fruit. From a tree. That's all it took. 
He says, if by one man's offense, he's using this as a comparison. He's letting you know you need to understand that it only took one. It only took one act. Why does he want us to know this? Because he's comparing it. Because he's comparing it. Well, if it only took one man's offense for death to reign, what does he say? Much more. Everyone say much more. Oh, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. What is he saying? It only took one act, one offense to separate you from God and it only takes one act or one uh, obedient command to get you right with God. See, if you think it takes multiple sins to get you wrong with God, then you think it's going to take a lot of work to get you right with God. And he's saying, look, it only took one act. It only took one offense to separate you forever. But you are one obedient decision away from getting right to getting back into righteousness and holiness and ruling and reigning once again. It's that simple. If it was that easy to get you out of God, God's will, it's that easy to get back into it. He's using it as a comparison. So if I weaken sin, I weaken grace. I do not strengthen the plan of God by weakening what is against God. I've got to, I've got to keep them on the same level. I've got to view them at the, same, at, at the same status. And if that's all it took to get me out, that's what it's gonna take to get me in. He says, how much more by the abundance of grace it's not a limited. We don't have a shortage. There's not a deficiency. It, it, this isn't, you know, first come, first serve. This isn't the first 50 that come and get it. It's yours, but we don't have a, a, a you know, a, a substantial stockpile. No, he's saying there's an abundance of grace. There's so much grace. Why would you shorten yourself? Why would you limit yourself? It's there for you. It's available to you. The abundance of grace and the gift of of righteousness. What's that mean? A gift is not worked for. You don't have gifts sitting up under a tree that are attached to a task or assignment list that says, okay, for every task you do, a gift will be given. No, that's a paycheck. That's a salary. That's not a gift. Look at all these presents under here, but you got to take out the trash. You got to clean the dishes. No, those are gifts. That's above and beyond. That's given to you freely. You don't have to do anything to get it. So he says, abundance of grace, more than you'll ever need. And a gift of righteousness, meaning there's nothing you could do to earn it or buy it or accept it. It is yours gift of righteousness. And he said, because of those two things, because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you and I will reign in life. Everyone say reign in life. Reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Why is it through the one? Because Jesus reigns. Because Jesus came as a king. And so we're talking about this reigning in life. We're talking about your position of being seated with Christ in heavenly places. And when we started this uh, several weeks ago, now I think this is our, our third week, and then we had a week off, so that'd be four weeks ago. We had a week off with Pastor Daryl ministering. So four weeks ago, we kicked this off, and we talked about what being seated with Christ 
means, what it means to be seated at the right hand of the Father, a position of authority. That's a very specific seat. It doesn't say left hand. It doesn't say several chairs down. It says seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's important. We don't understand the right hand in America because we don't have a right hand. But in kingdom talk, which is what the Bible was built upon and planted in, was a kingdom. The right hand is very important. The right hand is the position that executes the authority of the one on the throne. At the right hand, the only one above the one at the right hand is the king is the one on the throne. Second in command. Nothing rules you. Nothing reigns over you. Nothing tells you what to do. Nothing is beyond your power except for the king. And it says you are seated with Christ at that right hand. I don't have time to go all the way into it. I don't have the time to break down that first message. You'll have to go back and listen to it. It's available, seated. Part one, I don't even remember what I titled it. Have a seat. Robert, does that sound right? Have a seat, I think, is have a seat. That's what Jesus is saying to us today. Have a seat. Come to me, all who are weary. Have a seat at my right hand with me in heavenly places, at the right hand of the Father. Far above, he says, all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And not only in this age, that means there's no expiration date. You will reign with me forever and ever and ever. No matter what new virus they come up with, no matter what challenges take place, no matter who's in office, no matter what's happening in the world, you will always reign in this age and in the ages to come. So he says, you will reign in life. I love this in the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, everyone say, but now. How much more are we held in the grip of grace? And continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. You're held in the grip of grace, and this is what we're keying in on, and you continue reigning as kings. You're a king. You are royalty. You are greatness. There's greatness inside of you. You've been destined for more, for more than just going with the flow, for more than just being tossed to and fro by the the winds and cares and, and circumstances of life. You've been created for more. You are a king. 
you are in charge. You rule and you reign in this life, in this earth. I'm going to preach it till you get it. I'm going to say it till it sinks in. I, we're going to break every wall, every religious boundary, every religious uh, uh, oppression and stronghold that wants to keep us from ruling and reigning in this life. Now. I don't have to die and reign. I can reign right now. Well, isn't that for when we go to heaven? No. Reign in this life right now. I can't even use it then. Because I can't rule in someone else's domain. And heaven is not your domain. And so last week we we journeyed, we took a, a, a detour or a sidetrack, if you will. We had to stop for fuel is what we needed to do. We had to pull off the track and make sure we're fueled up. Why? Because everything I have to say from this week on out, it's going to hit you and you're going to want to question and challenge many things that I have to say. How do I know that? Because Matthew chapter 13 tells me that when the gospel of the kingdom is preached, the enemy comes immediately to snatch away what was sown. And Matthew 13 is specific. It's not just any gospel. It specifically says the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. And there's a lot of hard statements that we'll make. There's a lot of hard sayings that will bump up and push against our religious strongholds in our minds. And, and there's nothing that reveals religion more than the kingdom. It is the direct enemy of religion. It's the direct opposing force of religion. Religion is man-made traditions, as we saw last week, that are used as an attempt to manipulate and deceive by allowing you to think you are arriving at the same end goal as the kingdom, but you're not. I'll say that again. Religion is man-made traditions, man-made systems, man-made thinking, man-made ideology. It's not God-made, not God-designed. Religion has nothing to do with God. God has nothing to do with religion. He hates it. It's a man-made system that manipulates and attempts to allow you to think you're arriving at the same goal as the kingdom agenda. We're getting to the same place, but we're just getting there different ways. That's religion. And that's why Jesus confronted the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15 and said, why do you forsake the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions? Why are you opposing God for your man-made systems and ideas? Why are you pushing against what God wants? And again, he's talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious rulers of that day and age. He's talking to the intellectuals. He's talking to the ones that on the outside look like they are the ones pushing the hardest for the things of God. Right? But he says, no, you, you've actually abandoned the things of God for your traditions. That's religion. And God hates it. 
And so when you start preaching on the kingdom of God and you start preaching on ruling and reigning and you start preaching on authority, there's a lot of things that we have to kill. There's a lot of things we have to shut down. There's a lot of things we have to remove and we have to step back from and we have to look at the word of God differently. Let me show this to you in Mark chapter 2. And, and here's what's going to happen. And, and, and for those of you that have been in our church for a while, I, I was trying to do some research how far back the last time I ministered on the kingdom of God. And um, I believe the last I could find was in 2019. In the fall of 2019 on a Wednesday, I took several Wednesday services to reintroduce. We do this uh, almost every year, I try to. And last year, I did not get into it as strongly as um, I have in the past. And so this is your refresher for those of you that have been here before. And trust me, you need it. I needed it. Because again, the kingdom of God is probably the thing that most directly opposes everything we see and are surrounded by every day in the church. I'm not even talking in the world. In fact, the world wants what I'm preaching. They want this. This is what they're searching for. The homeless man under the bridge and the billionaire in the penthouse are both searching for the same thing. This is what they're looking for. And just like Jesus, it's the religious ones. It's the, it's the Christians. It's the churchy. It's the spiritual that this is where the blockage comes. This is where the receptivity. That's why I had to go into last week of, of this, what are we doing when I, why is what I'm saying not what you're hearing? Because there's things in the middle. We saw that last week. We reduced the word. We resist the word. We reject the word. We even revise the word to fit our comfortability and, 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 and our ideologies. And so if we can take last week's message, put it to practice, you're going to receive something through, this, through these messages and through, these, through this series. For those of you that have never heard us talk about the kingdom, I can tell you right now that, that here, here's what's going to happen. Initially, What's going to happen is you will, you might even get a little angry. I'm just preparing you. I'm serious. You'll get angry because if you've never heard this before, the first thing that's going to come up is, why have I never heard this before? Because I'm only going to show you stuff that's in the Bible. I, I have no other resource up here than a Bible and my notes that, have the Bible. <laughs> that's, that's just scripture. Matt and I were talking. He's like, I don't even know why you use that thing because you don't ever say anything. You don't, you don't ever look at it. And I said, well, it's because I end up saying stuff that's not in here. But it's there for reference if I need it. No, I'm going to just give you the word this morning. I'm just going to give you the word. And so initially you'll be like, why has no one ever shown this to me before? That was my response. I was upset. I remember leaving that service. It was almost two hour long service. I'm not kidding you. I'm not going to go that long, I promise. 
not going to keep you here. I got, I got to give it to you in chunks. I can't try to force it down your throat. But I remember my initial response was, are you kidding me? This has been here the whole time. Using the same verses I've read, I've heard. I mean, it wasn't even verses that I'd never heard. It's a lens. It's a lens. The kingdom is the lens through which you see the Bible. This whole Bible has one consistent theme. A king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. That's the whole Bible. Genesis to Revelation. One consistent theme all the way through. A king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. So we're going to talk about the kingdom. We're going to talk God's purpose, God's original purpose and God's original intent. I've put as much stuff uh, on the screen for you so you can visibly see it and you can write it down. We're going to cover a lot. There's a lot of verses we're going to cover. There's a lot of points we're going to cover. And I'm just telling you, open your spirit right now. Holy Spirit, we just open ourselves to readily receive the word today. Help me be concise and direct in my speaking and help us all be open and teachable and receptive in our ears to hear and our eyes to see so we can understand and comprehend in Jesus' name, amen. Ruling and reigning, the kingdom of God. I'll give you this first point, probably one of my favorite quotes of all time. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Purpose always answers the question, why? Purpose always answers the question, why? And why is the most important question to man? It's the most important question. At some point in your life, whether you're young, old, in between, we have all asked this question, why am I here? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Why is there a God? Why does he need me? Why is there an earth? Why is the most prominent and the most important question we could ever ask? Not what, not how. Not when, not who, why. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Look at these three statements that are connected to what happens if we do not discover purpose. If we don't discover why. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without purpose. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, it's life without purpose. The greatest tragedy is not dying and passing on from this life to the next and passing on from this earth to heaven and to glory with God. It's a life lived 
without purpose, with no direction, never knowing why you were here. That's the greatest tragedy. Greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without purpose. The greatest failure in life is to be successful in the wrong assignment. The greatest failure in life is to be successful in the wrong assignment. This is what happens when we don't know our purpose. We can be greatly successful doing the wrong thing. Never achieving why you were created. Never knowing why you were created. Greatest failure in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. And the greatest mistake in life is to be busy and not effective. The greatest mistake in life is to be busy and not effective. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. When I don't know why something exists, I will inevitably misuse it and abuse it. If I don't know why something exists, if I don't know why Tylenol exists, then I will abuse it. I will misuse it. There are directions for use based on why Tylenol or Advil was created. And if I don't know why, if I don't know the purpose for which it exists, then I will misuse it. And this happens in every arena of life. If you don't know why you are married, you will abuse your marriage. You will misuse it. If you don't know why you have kids, you will abuse them. And I'm not just talking child abuse or stuff that gets you reported. I'm talking knowing why you are raising offspring in your home and in your care. You gotta know why. If you don't know why you have a job, people go to work. You'll, every, there are so many people going to work tomorrow, abusing their workplace, misusing it because they think it's a source of income, because they think it's where I collect a paycheck, make a living. It's my status in life, my promotion, my position. And those are all good things. You should desire to make an income. You should desire to have a wage. You should desire to grow in the company. You should desire to make a living, be a hard worker. But that's not why you have a job. It's not why you have a workplace to go to. So we abuse it. We misuse it. And when you abuse something or misuse something, this is what happens. You live a life without purpose. You become successful in the wrong assignment and you become busy, but never effective. Purpose flips all those things. Purpose helps you live with a direction and destination in mind, a reason. Purpose 
helps you become successful in the right assignment. Purpose helps you not just to be busy, but to be effective at what you're doing. Purpose flips all these. These are the three dangers of what happens in our life when we neglect and abandon purpose. Now, God is a God of purpose. God is a God that answers the question, why? God is a God that doesn't just do things whimsically, accidentally, unintentionally. God never says, what is this for? God never creates, before God creates something, he gives it a reason. Before God creates anything, he already knows what it's going to do. God doesn't create anything and then try to figure out what should we do with this. See, when you are a person of purpose, purpose shows up before the thing shows up. Purpose shows up before the thing. The why shows up before the what, before the who, before the how, before the when. Why comes first. Why comes first. So when God created you and I, he already knew why you were being created. He already knew why you needed to be in this planet, in this earth. He already knew why you needed to have the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you individually and specifically have. He already knew why. In Genesis chapter one, Did I tell you to go to Mark chapter two? We'll go there in a minute. Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one and verse 26. And obviously we know this is day six. So God has already spent five days creating the earth. And you know what he does every time he creates something? He tells you why it's needed. Let there be stars and a moon to bring light at night, a sun to bring light during the day, separate the waters from the, I mean, God, God, nothing happens whimsically with God. Even in creation, he was extremely intentional. And if he would have all that intention for five days with plants and water and dirt and suns and light and moons and stars and and right where everything needed to go and and then even saying what it would later produce that the ground would produce this and if he is that intentional with all that why would he not be that intentional with us but he says in verse 26 then God said let us make human beings I'm reading out of the new living let us make human beings in our image to be like us We know the new King James, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. So what does he say? I'm gonna use myself as the template for creating man. Everything I want them to be is coming from here. Everything I want them to do is coming from here. 
you, God used himself as the mold for creating you. God used himself as the template. Well, what's it going to look like? Us. What's it going to act like? Us. Well, what's it going to sound like? Us. How's it going to respond to things like we do? How's it going to address issues like I do? Made in his image and according to his likeness. Likeness speaks to function, functionality, operation. He says, you are going to look like me. We're going to make man in our image. And the New Living goes on to say, they will reign. Everyone say reign. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful. See, blessing them is God's stamp of approval. It showed up and he said, yep, that's exactly my intention. That's what I was trying to do. It looks like what I meant it to look like. It sounds like what I meant it to sound like. And now it's gonna be commissioned and authorized to do what I created it to do. And before he gave you something to do, he gave you who you are. Before he gave you an assignment, before he gave you a task, before he gave you a responsibility, before he gave you a job title, before he gave you a job description, he gave you an identity. Why is this important? Because the world wants to flip that and tell you that you derive who you are from what you do. That's deception. That's religion. That's manipulation. That's legalism. That's if I do good enough, then I'll be. And God says, no, you are, so you do. He, he designed it. This is his system. We don't get to change it. We don't get to change the format. We don't get to change the plan. We don't get to step in here and say, well, you know, that doesn't really work. So let's see what somebody can do first before we determine what they can be. God said, you will be, then you will do. You are righteous, so be holy. Live holy, do holy things. Righteousness is who you are. Holiness is what you do. Okay? So this is the template. We're following God's plan. And look, I took you all the way back to the beginning. Y'all notice that? You can't go much further than Genesis 1. I mean, the very first verse says, in the beginning. That means in the beginning. Why did I go to the beginning? Because purpose is always found at the beginning. You don't find purpose halfway through. You don't find purpose at the end. Not when you do it God's way. No, you find purpose for something at the beginning of it. Where it started. So we got to go all the way back to the beginning. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create man and woman. In my image, in my likeness, to operate, to function, to think like, act like, speak like, respond like, we do. Everything we're capable of doing, they're capable of doing. I didn't make it up, I just read it to you. It's right there. In the image of God. 
He created them. And then he blessed them. He said, yep, that's it. I like it. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Everyone say govern. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. This was God's original plan. This was God's original intent. This was God's original purpose to extend his realm from heaven to the earth, to extend his realm from the invisible to the visible, to extend his realm from the spiritual to the natural. Y'all hearing me? When the earth was created, he used heaven as the template. And then he goes a step further. He says, I'm going to extend my kingdom from heaven to the earth. But I'm not going to rule it. I'm not going to govern it. I'm not going to manage it. I'm not going to reign over it. I'm going to put one just like me in my image, in my likeness, they are going to rule over it. They are going to govern it. They are going to reign over it. They are going to manage it. That's his plan. God's original intent. Aaron, I think it's the very last slide I have on there. It's going to sound confusing, but that's okay. We'll explain it. Do we have that slide? God's original purpose and intent. No, uh, from, to rule the seen through the unseen. We see that one? Okay, I'll just give it to you. Write it down. I wanted you to see it, but you'll see it after you write it, right? If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. God's original purpose and intent to, was to rule the seen through the unseen, living in the seen, on the scene. Oh, you need it again, Kyle? Didn't get it the first time? Okay. God's original intent was to rule the seen through the unseen, living in the scene, on the scene, the scene of the earth, S-C-E-N-E. I'll explain it. It's just catchy, that's all. You'll understand it. The Holy Spirit will help you understand it. God's original intent was to rule this earth, the seen realm, through the unseen spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, living in the seen body, your natural body, on the seen, S-C-E-N-E, of the earth. God's original purpose and intent was to rule this seen realm 
of earth through the unseen Holy Spirit living in the seen natural body, your body, your temple on the scene of the earth. That's God's intent. That's God's purpose. It's the whole Bible. I just gave you the whole Bible in a very confusing sentence. God created this earth, never intended to rule it. Okay, you need scripture. Psalm 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. Whose? The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. All its fullness. The world and those who dwell in it. The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to him. Does it belong to us? No. Doesn't belong to me. I don't own it. Belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's. And its fullness, everything in it. The world and those who dwell therein. Well, Pastor Mark, that says that the earth is the Lord. So, you know, wouldn't he control it? Wouldn't he manage it? Wouldn't he govern it? I mean, it belongs to him. You know, it's his by right of creation. He created it. He owns it. See, I need to know where my authority stops if I'm also going to know where it starts. I don't own this planet. I didn't decide what trees do. I didn't decide what the grass does. I didn't decide where the water should go. I didn't decide where the, where the I, I, I'm just here to govern and to rule it and to manage it in the form he created it in. I don't get to decide those things. He's the owner. But Psalms 115 verse 16 Psalms 115 verse 16 says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to who? The children of men. But the earth he has given to the children of men. Well, that's exactly what we just read. God created the earth and everything in it. He owns it. But he handed over the authority and the capacity to rule it and manage it to Adam and Eve, to his, to his flesh that he made out of the dust of the ground and he breathes his life into them and a human being is a spirit that possesses a soul and lives in a body a human being a human being is a spirit that possesses a soul a mind a will and an emotion and is housed in or lives in a body your flesh that you see that's a human being God, however, is not a human being, is he? No, John chapter four tells us that God is spirit and all those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God, therefore, listen, this is one of those hard statements I'm setting you up. God, therefore, removed himself from the equation of ruling the earth. Yeah, so we have a religious principle that tells us God is in control. 
And we love that statement because that means I have to do very little about any situation that I'm confronted with. Oh, but God is in control. He's in control of one thing. You ready? He's in control of one thing. His, his control and the realm of his control and the realm of his sovereignty. Oh, the, the, the almighty sovereign God. The almighty sovereign God is in control of one thing, his word. What's that mean? That means if he says it, it has to be. If he says it through the written word, logos, the Bible, or the spoken word, rhema, revelation, it has to be. God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man that goes back on his word. God is not a man that says one thing and does another. So God, by his own words, eliminated himself from ruling in this realm without using you and I. I'll say it again. God, by his own words, eliminated himself from ruling in this realm called earth without using you and I. From that moment forward, Genesis 1 verse 28, when he gave man the capacity to rule over the earth and everything in the earth, he immediately said, I must go through man because God is a spirit. But he told man to rule. He told a physical house, possessing a soul, housing a spirit, you're the one that has the capacity. And so from that moment on, God had to use mankind to accomplish his will and purpose in the earth. He needed a Noah to build an ark. He needed an Abraham to father children, to create his nation, his people. He needed a David to defeat Goliath. He needed a Paul to start churches. But then we get up on this one dilemma, the greatest dilemma of all kind, of all mankind. Man sins. Man becomes corrupt. Man rebels. Man disobeys. We saw that through one offense, death reigned in this life. Through Adam and Eve's sin, man became sinful. So now we have a problem because a sinful man cannot redeem man. It's got to be a man that is sinless, but there's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's, there's never been a man that's walked this planet after Adam that never knew sin. The Bible tells us we were born into sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Through one man's offense, through Adam's offense, I came out of the womb with an offense already. I came out of the womb having, I didn't have a say-so. I didn't have a choice. I, I couldn't try, I couldn't live good enough. There was nothing I could do. I came out that way. And so now we got a problem. God is the only one that can redeem mankind. And God is the only one that can't redeem mankind. 
right? Well, what's he going to do? I can't just show up in that realm. I've got to use man. I can't just come down there and go back on my word. I said, let them have dominion and let them rule and reign and let them govern and let them manage. And anything that I want to accomplish in that realm, in the earth, I have to go through man. I can't just go down there and use my spiritual capacity and my spiritual forces. I'm the only one that can redeem man, but I also can't redeem man. I have to find a way to put myself in a flesh suit. I have to find a way to make God flesh. I have to find a way to put God in a physical body. And you know when he came up with this plan? When man sinned. When man sinned. Come on, we're talking about the original intent. If you don't know the purpose, you'll abuse it. And we've been abusing this this life of a believer. We've been abusing our life as Christians. We've been misusing our life because we didn't know these principles. We thought I'm supposed to be praying and crying out to God about everything. We, we, we thought that anytime we run up on a situation that's bigger than us, I'm I just waiting for God to show up and do something about it. And he says, no, I can't. I have to use you. Now I can empower you and I can strengthen you and I can equip you and I can give you boldness and I can give you a word and by my Holy Spirit I can bring up words even when you didn't know what to say, you'll know what to say and I can do, I can empower you but I can't go around you and we've been just waiting for God to go around us. We'll do it God, waiting on a move of God and God's waiting on a move of man. He's sitting up in heaven saying, I can't unless you'll obey, unless you'll submit, unless you'll let me use you, unless you'll let me work through you. That's the only way this works. Okay? Now, let's make some more statements. You ready? You good? Okay. Adam and Eve were not trying to go to heaven. If I'm going to change my view of what I'm doing down here and what God ultimately is doing down here, then I've got to change my view about heaven. And another religious mindset, a religious brokenness that we've allowed into the church is we have gotten our eyes so fixated on going to heaven that we forgot we're supposed to be bringing heaven. Adam and Eve were not in the garden saying, oh, one day when Jesus comes, what a glorious day that'll be. And preaching on the rapture and they weren't asking questions like, if you died today, do, do you know if you would go to heaven? Oh yeah, we love that question. We love it. I mean, that's the biggest motivator to get someone in the kingdom. It's also the biggest way to get someone to live down here absent and void of anything God's called them to do, waiting for the day that they're going to walk on streets of gold and have their little mansion and sit up in heaven with God. And a life without purpose is greater than the tragedy of death. Y'all with me? Okay, 
See, we, we have to switch this. We have to work on this. We have to keep this in the forefront. And why are we doing this right now? Because all the brokenness we see and all the mess that's happening is the very reason why God created us in the first place. God never met challenge with the question, what are we going to do now? You are the one he's meeting the challenges with. We are the ones that God is wanting to use. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, but he has given the earth, Psalms 115, 16, to the children of man. So God's will was that the earth would be a natural representation of a spiritual heaven. And God's will was that man would be a natural representation of a spiritual God. And the way God rules in heaven is the way man should rule on the earth. Now, specifically, he says, you're going to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything. Why does he get specific with those things? Why does he get specific with, with, with those items? Well, look at what's not mentioned. Let's skip over what is mentioned. Let's look at what is not mentioned. What is two things not mentioned in that verse that we are not expected or given oversight to rule over? We can rule over things that scurry on the ground, everything that crawls on the face of the earth. We can rule over the earth. But there's two things that are eliminated from that verse. Number one is God. We will never rule over God. We'll never become greater than God. No, the only way we remain in authority is if we remain under authority. The only way you remain in a position of authority, we got military in here, go try that out. See how much authority you have in your rank if you don't submit to the authority above your rank. It doesn't work that way. It's called chain of command. If I don't remain under God's authority, then I won't remain in authority. So we're not ruling over God. I'm not doing, I'm not ruling and reigning absent of God. I'm ruling and reigning by God. Okay? The second thing that's not mentioned in that verse is man. You and I. We were never designed to rule over each other. We were to be a, a group of royal offspring. Why is that important? God did not create you to be subjects in the kingdom of God. He created you to be sons in the kingdom of God. Right, because every kingdom has subjects. Every kingdom has a people that it rules over. But that's not what God was creating. God was creating a kingdom of kings. What do we call Jesus? The king of and the Lord of. Who are those kings and who are those lords? Have we ever stopped to ask that question? You are. The king of kings. You're the kings. Lord of lords. You're the lords. You're the one ruling and reigning on this earth. He's king, king in heaven. We submit to his kingdom. And we're extending his kingdom from heaven 
to the earth. But you're the kings. You are royal offspring. You're not just subjects in the kingdom being told what to do. You have been empowered as citizens and as sons and daughters of the king himself. And so when the devil sees you, he sees God. I said, when the devil sees you, he sees God. How do I know that? Who did the snake come to in the garden? You know why the snake came to Adam and Eve? Man, you look just like the one I tried to overthrow up there. If I overthrow you, that'd be just as good as overthrowing him. You got the same likeness. You got the same function. You sound like him, talk like him, look like him, act like him, respond like him. You got all the same attributes, character traits. You got the same qualities. You're just like that king guy up there. You're just like God. That's why he was so attracted to Adam and Eve. If I can get you to bow down and submit to me, that's just as good as God bowing down and submitting to me. Yeah. See, you pose such a threat to the enemy and you don't even know it. Adam and Eve posed a threat. He recognized, okay, this is a new realm. I've been, but I govern. But his desire for power and for control and to govern and to rule. So Adam and Eve, they're not walking around looking for heaven. When are we all going to go to heaven? How do we get to heaven? When is Jesus coming so we can go to heaven? They are only interested in bringing heaven to the earth and making that garden look like heaven. They're only interested in ruling and reigning and governing on the earth, protecting the garden. He says it will, the earth will, uh, you will subdue the earth. It will respond to you. It is in your care. You don't need me to do anything in that realm for you. You do it by the power I have given you. See, when you've been authorized on behalf of another, then you don't need the another. Are you hearing me? When you've been authorized on the behalf of the one that has the power and control, then you don't need the one with the power. You showing up is just as if he shows up. So Adam and Eve didn't say, oh man, there's this snake down here. There's this uh, uh, evil, he's trying to tempt us. He's our enemy. God, what are you gonna do about it? They were the ones in authority. They were the ones in control. What situations have you come up upon where you've been asking God to do something about it? Hello? See, I'm convinced that more of the situations that we're supposed to be addressing as believers, we're not supposed to be praying about, we're supposed to be talking to. Well, it says make all your petitions known. Yeah, absolutely. Converse with God, talk with God, commune with God. Make your needs known, but he already knows what you need. Make your desires known, but he already knows what you desire. Make your issues and problems known. But when you come out of that, you better be ready to face the thing head on because God's not doing anything about it without you involved. What does Mark 11 say? Speak to the mountain. Doesn't say speak to God about the mountain. To speak to speak to the mountain and it will be removed. Jesus didn't pray for anybody to get healed. You can't find it in one path. And they got four gospels. You got four different guys 
that somehow all lined up on that one and said, this guy didn't pray to God about stuff. He talked directly to stuff. He didn't pray to God, oh God, will you release this man from this evil demon that's living inside him? He said, get thee behind me, get out of here. He didn't pray to God about the storm. He said, peace be still. Sickness go. Lay hands on the sick and they all recovered. All of them, every single, he didn't fail one time. He never prayed to God about stuff. We have these healing lines and, 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 and you know, I, I heard one minister say, he said, you know, we, in, in, in prayer, we spend a lot of time with our problems and a little bit of time with God. Jesus, on the other hand, spent a lot of time with the Father and very little time with the problem. When was he praying? Overnight, on the side of mountains, isolated all by, what was he doing? God, what's your will? What's your plan? What do you need? In fact, when he taught us how to pray, what did he say? Pray this way, our Father, who art in heaven. Why is that important? Because I need to know where he's at. Because that's where it's coming from. That's where the source is. It's not, it's not our Father who art on the earth. Our Father who art in heaven. That's where you rule. How would be your name? Because your name is the access. We'll get into that later. The name is the access. Why do I need the name of Jesus? Why do they want to remove Jesus from prayer? Because it is the very access to the power of the prayer. Jesus' name is how I access heaven. Okay, we'll get into that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. Where? On earth. Where? On earth. As it is. Is that not how he taught us to pray? Is that not what he said? Is that not the example that he gave us? He's not telling us to pray that exact prayer. He says, this is the substance of your prayer. You recognize God is the source in heaven and you are bringing heaven down to your problem and to your situation. That's what you're doing through prayer. Okay, so Adam and Eve, Wander in the garden, authorized by heaven, authorized by the king himself to rule and to reign and to govern. They didn't need God to do anything about that snake. They didn't need God to do one thing about it. They had the power to remove him, to cast him out. They had the responsibility even to do it. Well, we know they sinned. They gave in to the temptation and the lie that if they ate the fruit, they would be more like God. Well, the funny thing is they couldn't be any more like God. They were as much like God as they could be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish and the sea, birds of the air, over everything that creeps on the earth. That was it. You can't be any more like God than that moment. Well, God's plan. God's purpose, it's all of a sudden derailed, isn't it? Oh, we just botched the whole thing up. We messed that up quick, didn't we? A couple chapters in. I mean, really just a chapter because you got the end of Genesis 1 and then you got the beginning of Genesis 3 and, and that's it. 
man sins. What if Adam and Eve had never sinned? Where would they be today? In heaven? Right? Here. In this realm. On this earth. Why has all of our attention been directed from earth to heaven? Why do we preach so much about heaven? Why do we, why is that our focal point? Why is that our focus? Why is that where all of our attention is? Why, why are we so interested in getting out of here when I just took you on a journey to show you that this is why you're here? God's original purpose and plan is to extend the unseen heaven to the seen earth by the unseen spirit of God living in the seen man living on the earth. That's his plan. That's his purpose from the beginning. That's all that God was interested in. That's all that God, and this is the thing about God. When, when something goes wrong, God doesn't abandon the plan. He restores the plan. Worship team, if you come. I feel like Jesus right now. There's so many more things I want to say, but we're not ready. Are you good? Let's just thank him for his kingdom. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your kingdom plan, your kingdom purpose. We thank you that you're a God that loved us so much you created us and made us a part of your plan. You're a God that loved us so much, a God of love that desires to expand, a God of love that desires to increase, a God of love that desires. You could have stayed in heaven. You could have stayed within your realm. You could have left it as it was. But you said, no, I want to expand my rule. I want to expand my reign. I want to expand my kingdom, grow my kingdom. Every king desires to increase. Every king desires to expand. Father, you made us a part of that process. Made us a part of that process. That we could rule, reign with you over this earth. That was your purpose. That was your intent. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. 
And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.